want Philly Philly? Yeah, let's do it. Swing of the mess, suck him out. The Philadelphia Phillies are 2008 World Champions of Baseball. Hello, welcome into episode 6 of a Philly Sports Complex. Kind of an emergency pod here with the Sixers putting the Celtics on the brink of elimination, heading back to Philly for game 6. So we're getting right into our Sixers. After attending that depressing game 3 on that Friday, and practically losing any faith I truly had in this team, which in my opinion, I had every right. I mean, coming off those games 2 and 3, and the way James Harden was performing, how was I supposed to have any faith? I'm I got pretty damn upset over Harden in that last pod as well. So I couldn't be happier to say that James Harden proved me the hell wrong. In the most important game of the season, when it truly seemed that if we went down 3-1 in the series, it would be all but over, James Harden, for the second time in the series, would score over 40 points, 42 to be precise. And he had a game-winning three-pointer, this time in overtime, with 19 seconds left. To take the game with a final score of 116-115. to 115. Harden finished with a stat line of 42 points, 9 assists, 8 rebounds, and even tacked on 4 steals as well. And Beat also had a pretty damn good performance with 34 points, 13 rebounds, and 4 assists, with none being bigger than the assist to James Harden in the corner for that game winning shot in overtime. But for the most part, Embiid's solid stat line will be overshadowed by his lackluster performance in the fourth. The Sixers got off to a real great start in this one, finishing the first with a 27-19 point lead. It was rare in this series to see them get out to such a good start, and you just had to hope that it could carry through the game. Harden caught absolute fire in the second quarter. He went 3 for 3 from 3, putting together a 15-point second quarter. He also threw in a couple mid-range jumpers as well. The Sixers jumped out to a 16-point lead in that second frame, but it didn't last long as heading into the half, the Celtics cut the lead to 9. Harden went into halftime with 21 points on 8 of 11 shooting, but the way Harden and Bede were having their way in the first half, and Tatum at one point was going 0 for 8 and had only 2 points at the half, I would have thought the Sixers could have had a bigger lead, but like I said, they let that 16-point lead slip away after some real bad possessions and defensive stands. Now into the third quarter, Tatum finally started to find some rhythm, but once again, Harden was the best player on the floor at the time. They got the lead back up to 15 points, then would let it go back into single digits, then would go on to bring it back up to 15, just to finish out the quarter, sloppy once again, and only being a 9-point lead heading into the fourth. Now, one of the fourth, which truly should have been the reason the Sixers lost, but somehow they didn't. Any other time, this feels like a typical Sixers loss. The Sixers went on to get outscored in that fourth quarter, 24-14, to which would ultimately send the game to overtime. But in that fourth, like I previously mentioned, Embiid was nowhere to be found. He went on to shoot one for six, having only two points. And had only one rebound as well. He had a few of his shots actually blocked, which usually it's the other way around for him. But you could easily tell how... Uh, fatigued Joel was and was lacking all sorts of energy that is obviously needed from your best player. Now, I definitely blame a lot of it on the injury and his conditioning from the time missed with the injury, but he has to figure out a way to work through this. He's he's too important for this team, and Christ, he's the damn MVP of the league. You gotta be better than that. 
Yes, he still put up a great stat line and was a huge reason for those big leads throughout the game. But for him not showing up in that fourth, it was an even bigger reason why the Celtics were able to surmount the lead and force overtime. Now, towards the end of the fourth, with the Celtics actually in the lead at this point, P.J. Tucker had a hard-fought putback from an Embiid miss and picked up an N1 as well. Now, before he took that free throw, which he would make to complete the three-point play, he went over to Embiid while Embiid was hunched over, hands on his knees, and Tucker absolutely laid into him. That was exactly what Embiid needed. That's exactly what this team hasn't had during Embiid's tenure. A teammate with his type of experience and um, veteran leadership and just doesn't care if he's playing his best game or the worst game of his life. If he sees something that he doesn't like, he doesn't care who you are. He's telling you how the fuck he feels and what he's expecting out of you. Now, after that game, he said that he's played against Joel many of times in his career. And when Joel wants to take control, he's unguardable. But after a couple plays in a row where Embiid wasn't being his dominant self and Tucker obviously noticed it, Tucker had to remind him the type of player he is and let him know the entire needs him at his best at this point of the season. Now, somehow with a tied game, thanks to James Harden scoring on a floater with 16 seconds left, Marcus Smart took a game one in three-point attempt as time expired and he missed. I don't even remember if I saw him miss it because, I mean, just immediately I put my head down knowing that it was going in. I still can't believe it didn't, but Embiid would go on to score four of the Sixers' nine overtime points. It was a very physical, hard-fought, low-scoring overtime. The Sixers fought for loose balls, which have been one of their weaknesses through the series, and it truly paid off. With under a minute left, Tatum was defended by Maxie out around the three-point line. Tatum went to go drive in and pretty blatantly pushed off Maxie with his arm. I mean, Maxie went flying back, but the thing was, is Maxie didn't fall. If Maxie falls, he most likely gets that foul call. But he doesn't, and he stumbles backwards, stays up, and Tatum steps back, shoots a beautiful three-pointer. That would end up taking the lead for them. The Sixers and fans were absolutely furious. After the game, the refs actually came out and said a foul should have been called no matter what. But then, with under 20 seconds to go, Embiid, guarded by Tatum, dribbles into the paint, bringing over Jalen Brown for the double team, which leaves James Harden wide open in the corner. After going up for what looked like a shot, Embiid heaves it over to Harden, who actually has to stretch out pretty good for the ball to save it from going out of, out of bounds, brings it back to his body, wasted no time getting the shot off. Surprisingly, Jalen Brown was actually able to come over and get a hand in Harden's face, but it didn't matter because James Harden nails the three-pointer with 18 seconds to go. It would come down to Marcus Smart draining a, a three. Split seconds after the buzzer went off and the ball was still touching Marcus Smart's fingers. And the shot went in. The game would have been done. It would have been over the Celtics one, but instead it's the Sixers. That was two shots that I fully expected to go in each time with Smart at the end of, end of regulation missing the shot and Smart at the end of overtime making the shot but making it too late. Somehow the Sixers got by with the win to tie the series, even with their collapse in the fourth. For so, so, so long, that is no doubt about it, a game that the Sixers would fall behind and absolutely lose. Even after those big leads and losing the lead in the fourth and overtime, they didn't quit and they pulled out the biggest win, the biggest win of the season at the time. Harden maybe hit the biggest shot of his career with that three-pointer in overtime to win the game and experience that game at Xfinity Live too was freaking awesome. I mean, I saw the Phillies game that Sunday during the day as the Phillies were over. Me and my fiance, we decided to walk over to Xfinity Live. So we walk in, there's probably about, I'd say five, five, six minutes left in the second quarter. And we stayed for the whole time. It, I've, I've been to Xfinity a good amount of times, but never for a game. And it was just an unbelievable experience. There was a good amount of Celtics fans 
and they were all talking shit as the Celtics were coming back. And it was almost like we couldn't even say anything because the team was letting the Celtics come back. But for them to finally win and and everything's just going off. The DJ's playing the 10, 9, 8, 76ers and everyone's going crazy, jumping up and down. There's the smoke being shot out from the ceiling or whatever. And we're, everyone's screaming at all the Celtics fans and they're just walking out the door, head hanging low and just being surrounded by all those fans and even the Boston fans as well. It just made it even sweeter that they won. And I could scream at every Boston fan I saw when I left that building. Going into that game and having absolute zero faith in them securing a victory, I was at an all-time high from that. But I got to be honest, it was nothing compared to Game 5. So now on to the possible turning point in this series. Everyone always looks at Game 5. If a series is tied 2-2, two two, whoever wins that Game 5, 80, over 80% of the time, they win that series. It started off pretty damn good, honestly. And Beat starts it off with a desperation three at the end of the shot clock on their first possession. And after a high bounce off the rim, it goes in. So that, that was just a perfect way to start. Get fired up. A shot like that didn't look like it was going in. It goes in. You're ready to go. It was a back and forth game to start. Harden wouldn't take his first shot until 6-17 left in the first. And a minute later would finish the layup to make it 20-13 Sixers. Tatum would go 0-5 for 5 in the first quarter. His second straight game with just a really slow first half. Maxie made his third big three to give them a 33-26 point lead at the end of the first. Maxie and Bede finished with 11 points each in that first quarter. The second quarter started with a huge hustle play by Paul Reed after an almost turnover by James Harden, and it leads to a jump ball that Paul Reed wins and turns it into a Harden three. Harden would score the first five points of the, for the Sixers in the second quarter. Daniel House getting some surprising minutes after McDaniels obviously was really doing nothing for the Sixers and Doc was obviously tired of wasting those minutes on, Mc, on McDaniels. And here comes Daniel House. And I mean, who would have thought the energy that this, uh, that this guy brought to the court? He had some really nice defensive possessions throughout the game. But in the beginning, he missed two open threes that actually helped Boston go on fast breaks and go on a 6 nothing run to make it a nine-point game. It would actually get up to a 10 nothing run after some, some really odd foul calls on Philly. But Tobias would in the drought. Tatum finally made his first field goal with 5.42 to go in this first half. And B to the next four minutes would go to the line four different times, converting all eight shots, making it a 14-point game. They hit it in the halftime, leading 58-49. to And B had 21 points, while Harden, Maxi, and Tobias were all in double digits as well. A true all-around team performance in that first half. Tobias was actually 12 points, 9 rebounds. And you can see how much it does for the team when Tobias has such a, a big contribution. Tatum went 3-for-11 in that first half. And Horford was 0 for 6 from 3 as well. So under the second half, they got out to a quick 14-point lead in the third, and Embiid had an early block on Derek White. Harris actually picked up his fourth foul pretty early in the third, and he had to be taken out. And this all kind of stemmed from a pretty awful defensive rebounding opportunity by the Sixers. There was three Sixers standing around, basically just watching the ball bounce off the rim, hit the ground, and it bounces right to Tatum. And then Tatum has it. Harris tries to get the ball back. It's pretty tacky foul call, if you ask me, but... He got his fourth one and he had to be taken out. With 524 left in the third and the, the Sixers still had a 14-point lead, even after some sloppy play, especially compared to that first half. Maxi drained a three shortly after that to give them their largest lead to the series at 17 points. The Sixers had an awful possession, resulting in a 24-second shot clock violation, but the Sixers went right down. Melton picked up a steal and drove down for a layup to stop any possible momentum from that. Embiid picked up another block as well, leading to a nice scoring layup from Dan Wallhouse, who provided, once again, very valuable minutes off the bench. Tatum hit a late three to give the Sixers a 78-62 lead, 
going into the fourth. In that third, Embiid had eight points. Maxi and Harden both had seven as well. Early in the fourth, the Celtics were looking to gain momentum, making it a 12-point game. But Reed gets a clutch steal, resulting in yet another Danwell House layup, putting it back to a 16-point lead. House would add another in less than a minute as well. I'm sorry to keep harping on it, but just once again, incredible minutes from Daniel House. He finished with 10 points and 5 rebounds. Tatum made a 3-point playoff in N1, bringing it down to an 11-point lead. But Daniel House finds Maxi, who drains a huge 3. At one point, House had to ask to be subbed out because he could barely breathe. That's how hard the man was playing. Tobias picked up his 5th foul with 9.16 left and had to be pulled, which also put the Celtics into the bonus very early in the 3rd, which can... Be pretty worrisome, but Brown would actually go on to miss those first two three throws. Embiid drilled a huge three from a Harden assist, and the next possession down, Harden lobbed the ball up to Danwell House for a 19-point lead. Less than six minutes into the fourth, Maxi already racked up seven points in that quarter. Maxi had an incredible performance after coming off three lackluster games in the series. In the second half, they had Maxi as the primary ball handler for most of the time coming up the court, and it definitely gave the offense different looks and created some Really, really good passing possessions as well. It was just another thing to, to kind of get in the head of Joe Mazzulla and the Celtics team themselves. It's, it's something they haven't seen. And at times, at times with Mazzulla, it seems like he can get a little overwhelmed. Or I don't even know if you can say overwhelmed, just not making the proper adjustments. So for Doc Rivers and the Sixers to make these changes, it really could be screwing with the fundamentals of the Celtics. Now, at times with Maxi being the ball handler, he did seem to hold the ball just a little bit too long, but since he's just so damn quick, by the end of the shot clock, he's either finding an open lane for a drive, sneaking a pass to an open teammate, or even creating some nice medium-range shots and even threes at times for himself. And Embiid at one point had a bad turnover, but ran his ass off down the court to block Jalen Brown from scoring on an easy layup too, picking up his fifth block of the game. That was one of those highlight real game-defining moments with that block. And Embiid didn't wear the brace on his left knee the entire game, he did have a little wrap on there at one point, but you could truly see the difference in his mobility without that brace being on there. Embiid would follow that block by getting fouled and make it at a 16-point lead with over five minutes left. After a few possessions of Maxi making great shots and finding Tucker for a three, the Sixers had a 21-point lead, and at that point, the fans started leaving, the Celtics pulled their starters, and you pretty much know, all right, this is it. The, the Sixers have wrapped this game pretty much up. And that was only with four minutes left to go in the game, too. They closed out the game winning 115 to 103. Definitely their most complete performance of the series, with Embiid on the floor. All the starters and bench as well playing such pivotal roles. Embiid, 33 points. Tyrese Maxey with 30, going 6 for 12 from 3. I was listening to the podcast and the radio airwaves, and there's people calling in and actually saying, like, all right, Maxey's obviously not going to be the guy in the future. We might as well trade him. Get some assets from him because he can't do anything in the playoffs. I mean, it, he just showed right there. It's not true whatsoever. There's one team in this league that seems to shut Maxi down, and it's the Celtics. You don't think he's going to figure that out? You're just going to give up on him because there's one team that, for some reason, he can't play against? Oh, but then he goes and drops 30 tonight. I, I cannot get over how amazing this game was for Tyrese Maxi. Harden had 17 points, 8 rebounds, 10 assists. And it's weird because. I've said in other podcasts, I can't have a 20-point, 12-assist um, game from James Harden. I need him to do more. And in games two and three, Harden was 2-for-14, uh, and I think 3-for-14, if I'm not mistaken. And, I mean, he scored in the low-middle teens, but it, it was just so many missed shots. And 
he honestly, it was just so many empty possessions of him going down the floor. It, it really hurt the team. So in this game, yeah, he only scored 17 points, but he was four for eight, eight for 10 from the line for free throws. Like this is the game that just shows you how important Harden was for this team. He didn't dominate, but he played a pure point guard game. He didn't take too many shots because it wasn't needed. Everyone else was scoring the shots. So he just sat back, let the play. Honestly, I, I would say let the plays develop, but a lot of the time he has a big hand in letting these plays develop. Finding the open teammates, not making stupid mistakes, not making stupid turnovers. And it, it was just such a complete game from James Harden. Harris was 16 and 11. And if he didn't get in, in foul trouble, with the way he was playing, he was absolutely scoring over 20. So that was another huge game from Tobias after he had a pretty rough series compared to that first round series against the Nets. And you just know, I mean, if, if Harris shows up, him being our pretty much our fourth scorer, it just means so much more for the team and even takes some pressure off the top three guys as well. I cannot get over how great that game was. They would get those 15, 16, 18 point leads and the Celtics would bring it back down to 14 or 12. And at times it seemed like, okay, that was the time they would make their push and come back. The Sixers were going to fall apart. Almost going to be a game four again where the Celtics come all the way back from a 16-point deficit and tie the game to go to overtime. But time after time after time, the Sixers were there to stop the momentum. Whether it was a maxi three or an Embiid basket or another trip to the line for him. And then Daniel House would show up out of nowhere as well and make a big basket here or there. Once again, just an all-around performance. And it, it gives me even more faith in this team. This wasn't just an Embiid and Harden game. Everyone contributed. And the Sixers are running on all cylinders. Going home with a 3-2 lead. Winning two in a row. Why not make it three, boys? The Celtics looked defeated that time. And they can recreate that early in Philly with the crowd going crazy. It has the potential to be an all-time night in Philadelphia 76ers history. This team is riding that full confidence. And they don't seem to be a team that assumes the series is done. They walked back to the locker room with stone faces knowing the job is not done. There is still work to do. Embiid knows it. Everyone on the team knows it. But especially in Embiid and, and Harris just being with this team and knowing that they've had times where they've had a comfortable lead in the series like this. And next thing you know, a couple days later, they're sitting at home. This team is different from years past. It's obvious. They go down 2-1 to one in the series. A blowout in Game 2. An awful loss at home in Game 3. Lose a huge lead in game four and somehow still come out on top in overtime and then put a dominant performance on the road in Boston in the most pivotal game in a two to two series. It's, I, I can't believe that those words are coming out of my mouth. Truly, the Sixers need to play the exact same way. Maxi needs to stay at full confidence. I want him taking shots early and often. And Bede needs to keep that same energy. And Harden either needs to recreate this past game's performance. Or possibly do more if Tobias and Maxi cannot continue their Game 5 performance. And obviously we've seen it before. Twice this series has gone for over 40 points. So hopefully it can be another um, all-around team effort again. I, I feel pretty confident penciling and beat for another 30. I mean, this is three straight great games with them now. But another big difference in this game was also the rebounds. They out-rebounded the Celtics 49-36. to and, and to keep harping on this all-around team, team performance, like the entire team was rebounding. Embiid, 7. Tobias, 11. Harden, 8. Maxi 7. P.J. Tucker, 7. Melton, 4. Daniel House, 5. So every single person was contributing, and for once, we didn't have to scream at the TV 
watching all these loose balls and just easy opportunities get turned right over the Celtics. And there they go hitting a three or just a, a clutch two and then either taking the lead or decreasing the lead itself. So it's like, it was so nice to see them fight so hard for those loose balls. It was just so different this night and played a huge role in the outcome. On to Philly for game six. I believe in them. It's time to end this fucking drought. I'm ready for these fucking conference finals. I've never experienced it. I cannot explain how bad I want it. Play the fucking song, baby. All right, let's move on to our Phillies. I want to do a quick segment on them. I don't want to fall too behind in those games. And since I'm doing a podcast episode, might as well cover them as well. Last pod, they were riding a five-game losing streak. They would go on to lose the second game of that Red Sox series, bringing it to six games. In that game, too, they lost 7-4, to while Bryce Harper, in only his fourth game back, hit his first homer of the year. So glad to have that happen in Philly as well. But besides that one bright spot, it was, once again, an awful showing from the Phillies. Falter was perfect through three, and then would go on to give up five runs in the fourth and get pulled while only getting two outs in that fourth inning. That increased the Phillies starters' ERA during that six-game losing streak to a 9.91. Flat-out embarrassing. Also, that made Falter the only pitch in the league at the time to go 0-6. I mean, that's, that's awful. Trey Turner would double and Hermer which is nice to see coming off a stretch of 14 games and then 170 with 19 strikeouts as well. But at the time, I couldn't have cared less. Just get me freaking wins, honestly. I mean, just get me freaking wins. Now, after getting pretty angry at Rob last podcast when it came to the lineup and how I thought it was just so simple to, to put together a good 1-9 to with the hitters that you have, after an 0-for-5 performance from Kyle Schwarber leading off, bringing him to an 0-for-20 stretch, Heading into game three, Rob finally put together a lineup with Stott leading off and Kyle in the five hole. Exactly what I was begging for, Rob. So in that Sunday game against the Red Sox, I actually intended, I attended my first Phillies game of the year with my fiance. Um, quick note on that, being the first game experience this new pitch clock live, it was even more noticeable in person than on TV, in my opinion. I usually like to not leave my seat. I, I want to stay. I want to enjoy the game. Um, but we went to Bulls and we got some barbecue around the second inning, I'd say. Ate up by the bullpens. By the time we came back, stopped for drinks and whatnot on the way back, it was already rounding out the fifth inning. So, now obviously my fault for getting up. I hate doing that, but I mean, what can you do? I also knew the game was objectively shorter too, when I didn't have to hear from my fiance once if we wanted to leave soon. Usually, I would say before this year, once it got to around the seventh inning, if the ball game was maybe a couple runs out of hand, whether the Phillies were losing or winning, she would usually start usually start nudging me and saying, Hey, you think we can go soon? And I'm like, I'm here. I'm live. I want to I want to experience the full nine innings. So it's a lot easier to now to do that with her being there because the games are obviously shorter. Going into that ball game, I had no faith in a win, honestly. Right in a six-game losing streak, Taiwan Walker on the mound, who has given me absolutely no reason to have faith in him as well. I mean, but to my surprise, they snapped the streak with a six-to-one victory over the Red Sox. Kyle Schwarber now in the five hole. He went two for three with a home run. Three RBIs and an intentional walk in the eighth inning that led to a JT Romuto two RBI single. Walker went six strong innings, six Ks, no walks, which is great to see, and only the one earned run on three hits as well. It was really nice to see a strong Walker out, and, and I really hope that he can just start building on this. He began to rely heavily on his 
fastball and honestly really his slitter if I'm not mistaken I think he started throwing his splitter more than his fastball and it seemed to make an obvious an obvious difference it's Alvarado surprisingly came in and pitched the seventh and then in his new role which I don't necessarily know what it is but it's not starting anymore Masham came in and pitched two scoreless innings to close out the game he tacked on three strikeouts as well as much as I would really as much as I would really love Strom to be our fifth starter with Falter just showing he's not deserving of that fifth spot anymore I just really, really, really love having a weapon like Strom to come out of that bullpen and give us one, two, three solid innings at times when it's needed. It just adds even more depth to what, at times, seems like a real solid bullpen. Especially now, getting news that um, Jose Alvarado has gone on the 15-day IL too. So, hopefully that's it, and when he comes back, he's good to go. They had an off day on Monday and began a two-game series with the Blue Jays on Tuesday. In that first game of the series, Aaron Nola was on the mound and had a solid outing. The Phillies took the game 8-4. Nick Castellanos had a huge game going 3-4, for four, a home run, a double, two RBIs. Once again, I cannot stress enough how much it means for this team that Nick Castellanos is batting the way he is. With that performance, Nick creeps up to a .317 average and an OPS near a 900. Nola pitched six strong innings, giving up two runs and six strikeouts as well. Nola's velocity was also noticeably higher compared to his last couple starts. Honestly, most of his starts this season. Nola was hitting 92, not 92 to 94 on his fastballs, and even maxing out at 95 at once in a while as well. Huge improvement from his 89 to 91 average throughout the season. Also, this was Nola's fourth quality start in his last five starts. So it's really a great sign for Nola possibly turning it around. And I hope it's just at this point, it's just start after start with him, and I just hope he can keep building on it and stop taking step backwards. Sir Anthony came on in the seventh and was only able to get one out while facing five batters. Soto actually had to come in to finish the inning. Dominguez, uh, Dominguez committed an error and would account for two runs, but after that, the combo of Brogdon and, Kim- and Kimbrell came out and pitched two scoreless innings to close out the game. The Phillies had a strong bottom of the eighth to take a commanding 8-4 to lead with a big two-RBI double from Brandon Marsh and then an RBI fielder's choice from Bryson Stott that had the Blue Jays that had the Blue Jays trying to get Boom out at home, but they were unsuccessful in the throw. The win brings the Phils back to two games below 500 with a chance to sweep the Jays in the final game of this two-game series. Now I was recording this episode during the Wednesday afternoon game, so I figured I could try to fit this in as well. Um, it didn't necessarily happen all the way. It was a dominant performance by Zach Wheeler: seven innings, seven strikeouts, only three hits, but one of them was a solo shot by Brandon Belt. So our two aces back-to-back put up real good performances, and Zach's was maybe his best of the year as well. But going into the ninth, it was 1-0 Blue Jays. Harper and Nick Castellanos got on base, and JT was able to bring Harper home to tie the game with the double, but they couldn't do anything else with the runners on base. Um, Sosa ended up coming up after an intentional walk to Brandon Marsh to load the bases. With two outs, bases loaded, he grounded out to third, so that kind of sucked. Social usually thrives on these situations, so it sucked to not um, be able to see him to come through in that moment. But they were able to come back in the ninth inning. They were able to push it to extra innings, and I'm stopping it now. It's at the uh, top of the 10th, and they have Kimbrel that just came in, but I'm not going to be able to fit the rest of this game in the podcast. So good luck to the Phils. And that will wrap up our two segments for this episode. Like I said, this was more of an emergency podcast with the Sixers having the, oppor- 
with the Sixers having the opportunity of ending it Thursday night and advancing to the conference finals for the first time in over 20 years. With the way they played Tuesday night, I'm riding full confidence, especially with this game being home and then having the series lead as well. The Walls Fargo Center is going to be fucking crazy. I figured I'd go over a few Phillies games as well to not fall behind on them. And man, it's really nice to see them snap that six game losing streak. And I'm, I'm hoping they're able to pull this final game of the Blue Jays series out too to sweep them and go on a nice little three game winning streak. The NHL draft lottery took place Monday night and it could have been a lot better for the Flyers, but at least it didn't get any worse with them sticking at the number seven pick. The good thing is this is a highly talented draft class and the Flyers still should be able to draft a very talented player. Just not a generational talent like Connor Bedard at number one overall, which we were all hoping for. And as the as the lottery got closer, I think a good amount of Flyers fans was getting them hope, their hopes up more and more that we were getting the number one pick. We should have knew it wasn't happening. And of course, that number one pick went to Chicago, went to the Chicago Blackhawks, who moved up from three. And at the time, it's probably the least deserving team in the NHL with all those allegations that they went through. Um, and yet they still wind up with that first overall pick. Now, I'm not saying anything's rigged, but the entire joke was, if the lottery is rigged, then Chicago would be the one to win, and long and behold, it happens. In the coming weeks, I'll get into the Flyers' potential first-round pick, but I'll wait until the Philly sports world settles down a little bit. Also, the Eagles handed out numbers to their rookies and new acquisitions as well, and held rookie minicamps over the weekend. That's another topic we will dive into in the coming episodes as well. But once again, thank you so, so much for tuning in to Episode 6 of a Philly Sports Complex. It truly means more than y'all know. If you can, give the podcast maybe a rating. Give it a follow if you'd like. Share it to your friends. Follow the pod on, on Twitter at a Philly Complex. But man, I'm on a fucking high from these Philadelphia 76ers. Time to finish this thing off, boys. Game six in Philly. Celtics on the brink. Conference championships a win away, baby. Let's go!